welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. So uh, last week, uh, we beautifully began to explore how not to get things done in the kingdom. Um, Don't judge. And don't try and teach people to death. And don't cast your spiritual wisdom before people who don't have the capacity to understand it as wisdom. So Jesus is kind of winding down the sermon, if you will. In these last three chapters, I hope, I hope we've been able to convey, I hope you've grasped that this is actually how the world will be saved. This is the kingdom that has come, that is being described here. This is what it looks like when God is um, on the throne. This is what his rule and reign looks like. So here we are in this overlapping period in which we are living in dueling kingdoms, in which we make decisions every day for, for life or for death, every day. That, that, that um, uh, uh, moment that, that God placed before Israel in Deuteronomy, choose this day, life or death, that moment is not a one and done. That's an ongoing series of decisions, incremental choices, small choices for life or for death. And Jesus lands very similarly to that as he, he, he talks about this new community of, of people whose holiness makes them useful. The fact that they're not the same as everybody else, the fact that their marriages aren't the same, the fact that they manage their singleness differently than everybody, the fact that they manage their sexuality, their money differently, the fact that they handle their failures as well as their successes differently. Some of you will glorify God by financial success and others of you will glorify God by honoring him through your bankruptcy. I need to let that sink in. I don't know where that came from but I'm serious because we are heading into an economic tsunami, the likes of which in some ways we have not ever seen and how the people of God handle the same things that is happening to everybody else will bear witness to the reality of the kingdom of God, right? How we bring others along with us in our success and how we allow ourselves to be brought along in our financial collapse. All of that is part of this this kingdom as we seek first God's kingdom. So this is not just a a bumper sticker, (laughs) right? This is not just a Sunday morning conversation. Uh, This is is the very character of Jesus taken on by the people of God and lived out loud in, uh, in the world. So he is concerned. Now, he has taken off the table three primary ways that we try to accomplish outcomes in this world, right? Judgment, teaching, and hyper-spirituality. Anybody recognize those in other people? (laughs) Nobody? Just you? Just in you? I recognize those in me all the time, right? Condemnation as a way of character formation. 
right? Uh, and, and, and those are off the table. We, we don't get, so how do we get things done? How in this kingdom of persons with a king who is himself a person, do we get things done? And Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Don't give up on knocking, because sooner or later the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. To the one who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate. Narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. Watch out. For false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. People don't pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, do they? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, and thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Because you see, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in the heavens. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I don't know you. Away from me, you lawless ones translating it literally there therefore everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice as like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down the streams rose the winds blew beat against that house but it didn't fall down because it had its foundation on the rock everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool who builds his house on the sand. And when the rains come down and the streams rise and the winds blow and beat against that house, it falls with a great crash. A lot of material. I wish I could go into it in greater detail, but I don't think any of us sitting in this room can mistake for a moment what Jesus is getting at here. You don't need me to guide you through it, but I'm going to do that anyway. 
So we begin with how do we get things done in a kingdom of persons? How do we accomplish outcomes in a community of people whom we wish to honor, that we can't manipulate, that we can't control, that we can't, and Jesus just says, in a kingdom of persons, the best way to get things done, the thing that has enormous power simply because it respects the personhood of the other is to ask. Now, asking doesn't guarantee outcomes, but nothing else that you do either does. And the thing that respects personhood is this asking, just simply asking what it is that you want from one another. It is the easiest and most direct. It doesn't always work because, I mean, you know this. When you ask somebody something, there is a range of options available to them because they're persons whose personhood, whose objectivity, you are, rep, you are respecting. They might say, no. They might say, not now, but then. They might say, hmm, well, what would that look like? They might say, yes. But in each instance, you are not doing anything other than you would have done to you. Do you see? It's, and, and, and sometimes we know this, that asking, uh, it, because we ask based on what we think we need, how many of y'all know what you need? We, all, we barely know what we want. So sometimes we will be asking for things that we think we need that in fact are not what we want. And a no is an answer to prayer. Everybody okay with no being an answer to prayer in the same way that yes would have been had you received that? Anybody grateful for prayers that God answered no 15 or 20 years ago? Hello, come on. So, so, so and because this also applies to prayer, you'll notice he, he, he references prayer here at the back end of this. This is about conversation with our father who is also a person who responds to asking, this is the thing that just drives me nuts about God, is that he's waiting for people to ask him to do things that he really wants to do but won't do until we ask. That's crazy. Why? Because he's raising us up to be his image. He's training us in a certain kind and a certain way of being. We need to get very good at asking, even if it doesn't work, to accomplish outcomes because asking is the only thing that respects the personhood of those whom we ask. And then you discover sometimes asking doesn't accomplish the outcomes, but it, it creates a coalition, it creates a partnership. And now all of a sudden we can say, well, I didn't really know what I wanted in the first place or it doesn't seem to be practicable that it will be accomplished that way. I wonder if there might be some other alternatives. Can we start to seek? Can I suggest to you that sitting in this room are hundreds of co-creators with a world of problems seeking your unique solutions? Is it possible that we don't even know the questions to ask because the problems 
are bigger than we could ask for, but the solutions might reveal themselves if we partner with the Holy Spirit and with the community of God to seek solutions that don't immediately present themselves. And sometimes, sometimes seeking doesn't find sometimes. And so we can start to knock on doors that nobody's ever thought of before. Nobody's ever thought of this. God has got ways of accomplishing outcomes in this world that nobody has dared to ask him. Nobody has dared to seek. Because we're, I'm, I'm sorry, but we are trained for prayers of nostalgia. We are trained to pray, do it again. And God is saying, I love that song, but I got a new one. I think you're going to like it. Anybody want to dance to this music? No? Well, I'm not going to be playing your old songs anymore. Do, do, do you see? And he's inviting us into this uh, exploration of wonder, which he is very happy. Now, 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 Jesus is saying, the one who asks and keeps on asking, the one who seeks and keeps, he's not saying keep pestering, keep banging on the door until the poor guy gives in. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't give up on asking as the primary way of respecting the other, even if it doesn't, if, if it doesn't work. Don't give up on seeking. Keep seeking. Keep, keep, even if it doesn't generate an outcome immediately, keep knocking even though the door doesn't open, because sooner or later, the character that is formed by asking, seeking, and knocking achieves outcomes that the character that gives up doesn't. And then he sums it up. Treat other people the way you want them to treat you. It's not rocket science. Jesus didn't say that part. And, and in this, by the way, you probably know, but Jesus is not saying something that this audience that he is speaking to hasn't heard before. Jesus isn't completely original in his thinking, even in this Sermon on the Mount. This is, a, this is part of rabbinic teaching. It's part of the Essene community that produced the Dead Sea Scrolls. This language of what we call the golden rule is, duh, Right? It, 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 but how hard is it to do what we know to do? We do to others before they do to us. We do to others assuming they're going to. Or we do to others as they have done to us. And now we're right back in the cycle of revenge and circling the drain of humanity. So Jesus' strategy is um, uh, this, this wisdom understanding, likelihood not promise, uh, that, 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 that invites us into this golden rule of approach. And, and again, I can't help but think, here we are 20 years on, that had we started, had we persisted, had we continued with the heart individually, salt and light, person on person, not big program, but individual outcomes where we started to treat our Islamic neighbors, our Muslim neighbors, our Chinese and our Asian neighbors the way that we would have liked to be treated had we were there, we might be having a different conversation this morning in the culture than we currently are having. 
But when we isolate, when we come out of our own insecurity and fear, because that's all that's being demonstrated, is how afraid we are. We get what we get. Uh, and so Jesus, I think, sensing that the issue is not knowing, it's doing, says, as it turns out, you need to enter in by the narrow gate. Um, when I grew up in church, I was taught that the narrow gate was believing things about Jesus. You got to believe the stuff about Jesus. That's the narrow gate. I have since come to believe that that is not what he's saying. The narrow gate is the way of Jesus. Namely, love. And he said, sadly, heartbroken, few there will be that find it. Why? Because love always feels like losing when I have enough power to hit. The narrow gate is not believing the right things about Jesus, although I think it's important to believe the right things about Jesus. That's not what I'm saying, but I don't think that's what he's saying either. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Jesus was completely, up for, for the most part of his ministry, just didn't care what people believed about him. What he did care about was whether they had any intention of following him, of putting his life into practice in their lives. That's what he invites us to. By the way, I'm going to suggest to you that that's what he cares about now too, more than anything else. So he's very aware that there will be other options available for people that and in the moment will feel much more attractive, this broad way that will be an easy get on the bus. We know where this is going and, 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 and it will be an easier way, but it will not be a better way. It will be an easier way, but it will not be a better way because the easy way doesn't actually work despite its popular appeal. Have we not learned, have we not learned that revenge, for example, does not work? It, justice does not work. I, I want justice, I, I really do, but has it ever occurred to you that God would rather be merciful than just? That's really annoying to me, because I've got a short list, well actually it's a fairly long list of people upon whom I wish God would wreak judgment. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? And it just annoys me that if they have a heartbeat of a, of a reflection of a possibility of a turn, God's heart begins to beat a little bit faster for them, he turns to them in love and blows on that little spark of repentance and he lets them off the hook until I remember that had he not done that to me, I wouldn't even have capacity to pray for judgment. Come on, when are we gonna learn? When are we gonna learn? When are we gonna learn? And this is what is despairing for Jesus because he, 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 he is aware that there are gonna be folks who are gonna mislead the people of God and they're gonna do so in Jesus' name. Have a word. I have a word. I don't know if it's from God or if it's from me, but I have a word. Please. And 
I, I need to be careful here. I grew up in a classical Pentecostal church. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I've, I've experienced those my entire life in, in church and personally. But in the last two and a half years, brothers and sisters, we have damaged ourselves almost irreparably with the irresponsible misuse of prophetic gifting. And I would not be surprised if the Holy Spirit just says, okay, we can't do that anymore. You people cannot be trusted. He says, the, 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 the false prophets, the people come in sheep's clothing, inwardly described as uh, inwardly their ferocious wolves. Here's the, here's the test. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And when Jesus uses this language, please notice this is not about not judging. It's about discernment. He's not condemning them. He's saying, pay attention to the shelf date. If the milk tastes sour, don't be drinking it. If it, 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 the, the, the fruit image here is, is that what's the, what's the expression of the lifestyle? Please notice this requires you to be in relationship with the prophets so you can see how they live out their life. We live in an, an age of ubiquity in which anybody with a TikTok account can gain a follower of a million people in about 10 minutes with, of, of stupid <laughs> and nobody knows them. Nobody has any awareness of how they treat uh, 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 the people around them. Uh, 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 nobody knows. We have, we have 13, 14, 15-year-old boys and girls who are Instagram influencers numbering in the millions. And nobody knows. who the, uh, feel the pressure of that. Well, then get off your TikTok account. Pressure will go away in 10 minutes. Guarantee it. Sorry. Got to calm down here. But this passage, please notice, assumes prophets are responsible to the communities to which they belong and are held accountable by those communities. Any prophetic voice that doesn't come from a relationship is one that, I'm sorry, but lately, I'm just going to hold at arm's length and I'm just going to say, God bless you. I got stuff to do. Here's the deal. I don't need a prophetic word to tell me what to do today. Neither do you. And what do we do with the prophetic words we hear, by the way? What do we do with them? And again, please don't misunderstand me. I love, love, love the way the Holy Spirit speaks in our community and brings things to aware. And, and we, you know, here's, here's a rule of thumb for me. If I hear something three times, I'm going to start paying attention. But somebody, I have a word, I'm going to, I, because I love this community, I'm going to pay attention to that. But I'm not going to change my life because of it. I might write it down. Chances are, not so much. Now, if I hear it the third time, it's like, oh, okay, okay. Especially from three different people who have no connection one to the other. All right. But even then, even then, I want to know how does this work itself out in the life and lifestyle of the person who's speaking it. Because Jesus says, you can't even count on the miraculous 
as a validation of true spirituality. In your name, did you hear that? We cast out demons. In your name, we performed many miracles. We'd give that guy a book contract. We'd parade him around on the TV. And Jesus says, what was your name again? This is a terrifying passage for me. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, I mean it. Because I am aware of my propensity to go for the cotton candy of the miraculous instead of the meat and potatoes of obedience and love. And Jesus is saying this proves absolutely nothing. So your lust for the miraculous is actually a choosing of the broad way rather than the narrow way, at least potentially. So we go after the miraculous. Why in the world would you ever do that? And I don't mean this, please don't misunderstand me. I want to go after the heart of God, which is bleeding out for the sins of the world. And if he wants to bring miraculous things as validation of that, yes, you go, God. If you want to use me to do that, and frankly, over the 45 years I've been in vocational ministry, that has happened to me often enough that I know it's as real as I am standing here today. I've got before and after x-ray pictures of miraculous answers to prayer. I just want to be known by love. Jesus, when he could have counted on a miracle, died. Just, do you understand why he says it's a narrow gate and not everybody's going to find it? Because love works a whole lot more slowly than miracles do. Love is a slow soaking. Love has to be put into practice. This is why he says, look, anybody who hears my words, here, you, 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 here's the altar call. Anybody unclear on next steps? Don't lust. Don't, don't be angry. Everybody wrote that one down. Don't let, you, let your yes be yes, your no be, I mean, you know the list. Okay, now, I don't want you talking about these with your homies over coffee. I don't want you forming little study groups to discuss what this might mean. I don't want you writing eloquent poetry about how wonderful the words of Jesus are. I want you to build your life on them. I want you to do them. I want you to put them into practice. Do you know one thing I've asked you to do? Do that. Then when the rain comes, and the rain is coming, your life won't collapse. When the floods rise, and the floods are going to rise, your foundation won't be undermined. Don't be a fool. One who lives as if there is no God. That's the technical definition of fool. Psalm 14, 1. 
that guy builds his life on the sand. He's got a beautiful superstructure with no foundation. He looks good on the outside. Did we not? Did we not? In your name. Uh -huh. here's, here's, here's my selfie. And when the rains come, and the rains are coming, and the floods come, and the floods are coming, his house collapsed. Anybody else wishing Jesus hadn't said this? Because this is, G.K. Chesterton says, if you cannot think of one thing in which you have obeyed Jesus not wanting to, you have no good reason to consider yourself his disciple. Fortunately, he's dead, so we don't have to worry about Chesterton anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Um, some of you are being told to not do. That will be obedience for you. And it will be a harder obedience because your whole life has been spent doing. I don't know who that is, but I have to say to you, that's obedience. And it will open up opportunities for love that your doing has hitherto not opened up. There are others of you dealing with relationship challenges, dealing with money problems, dealing with some sexuality issues, dealing with integrity issues. And Jesus has whispered gently, but clearly and firmly in the voice that you recognize as his, you gotta change this. And I'm gonna invite you to make today the line in the sand where you step over into obedience and love just because Jesus asked you to, because this is what he does with us as well as what he asks us to do with others. He could force an outcome, couldn't he? He could make us do things. And as much as I ask him to, over the course of my life, there have been times when I've just begged, lying flat out on the floor, Lord, make me X. And there's been a long list. And every single time, the answer to my ask is, no. I'm going to ask. I'm not going to make. I'm not going to use my power in the way that you would use it if you had it. I'm going to let love arrange like the magnetic Radians around a bar magnet. I'm going to let love draw the iron filings of your soul into alignment. Does anybody recognize that illustration? Oh, good. Fifth grade science. But that's how it works. Jesus is counting on love. He has no plan B. This is it. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. And... Um, to consider what does obedience in love in this moment as the mark of a disciple mean for you?
Do you have something in mind? And I'm not talking, most of the things about which Jesus has been speaking to us are not big deal things. They're little deal things. They're how we treat those in our lives. They are about matters of integrity and courage and um, managing all of the normal stuff of life. And he invites us to that narrow way. Can I just invite you to tell him, even through grit teeth and clenched fists, yes, Lord. I love you enough to do what you ask me to do. Just because you ask. And again, some are being asked to not do as well as to do. And obedience goes both ways. Take a moment. Have that conversation with Jesus, who is your Lord. Build your life on his words. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.